Hello, and welcome to Language U, a podcast about language, literacy, multilingualism, and English as an additional language, among other things, in higher education. My name is Joel Hanghartsey, and I'm coming to you from the Center for English Language Learning, Teaching, and Research at Simon Fraser University in Burnaby, British Columbia. And our guest will be Roma Ilnitsky, an editor for Talk Science to Me, an organization here in Vancouver that does work on academic and scientific communication. Roma is an editor, and we get into some great discussions about how to edit people's work, the ethics of editing students, and other questions about the correct use of language. So Roma is an editor. I first met her uh, in a different profession uh, when we were both um, studying language education at UBC. So thank you very much, Roma, for being here today. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, and I wanted to just, uh, I guess you and I have a lot in common in some ways in terms of our background and how we got into kind of language learning and language teaching, but then we took sort of different paths. Um, and yeah. the reason that I wanted to talk to you is that you're in a really interesting area of the academic language world that I think a lot of people who teach uh, might not be aware of, which is editing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wonder if you could kind of just talk a little bit about your journey to where you are now to becoming an editor, because I know you're somebody who's always been interested in language, but not necessarily always someone who was um, on the track to become an editor. So can you talk a little bit about, Absolutely. about that? Yeah. Absolutely. I've learned in the past three years since I've been editing that very few people go on the path to become an editor, <laughs> kind of consciously. Right. So my my experience is quite common where I started out in a totally different area and just sort of stumbled my way almost into editing. I as you mentioned, I did my master's at UBC in language education, and I thought I wanted to go into academia, be a professor, and teach. I thought education was the route for me, and that was partly because growing up, I had always been a language person. That was kind of always my thing. I did a BA in English literature, and... Me too, by the way. I feel oh, really? Like almost everyone I, I meet that. in this field started out in literature, <laughs> and then was like, will I get a job in literature? <laughs> exactly, yeah. and what am I going to do? Yeah. See, I did that, and I'd always been into language. I had, I grew up um, speaking Ukrainian at home, and so having very high... I guess what we would call metalinguistic awareness, right? I still remember some yep. terminology. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, always being very into language. Language was, was always something that was going on in our house. We would talk about grammar. We would talk about uh, vocabulary because that was important for my parents for us to speak Ukrainian. So, yeah, I was always very aware of that. And then when I got into university, I studied Chinese and um, went to China for two years, not consecutive, one year before my master's, one year after. And uh, the second year I was there teaching. And again, that's what I thought I wanted to do. And then when I got back to Vancouver, I realized that wasn't really the path for me. And I took a writing course at a local community college thinking, well, I'm really good at writing. I enjoy writing. Maybe writing is something that I want to do. So I got into a professional writing diploma. And in that diploma program, we were required to take a introduction to copy editing and proofreading course. So I did that class, and that's when everything sort of clicked for me. And I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is how I can apply my love for language in a way 
that fits with my skills and my uh, my background and my just my general sort of disposition at being a details person and it was perfect cool yeah that's interesting because when I think of copy editing and proofreading those are like the tasks that a lot of people want to not do yeah (laughs) lucky for me (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly and a lot of people don't realize what that is Mm -hmm. and what that means so um so you you loved that and then mm-hmm. was there more did you have to like do more training did you look for a job right away like how did you kind of yeah I was I was pretty lucky at the time because I had a really flexible job I was actually doing SEO oh. so that was also language related and um, that was really fun that means search engine optimization for our listeners Sorry, that's right <laughs> who might not be aware that's okay. so for websites so writing copy to fit keywords and things like that and and learning a lot about language use on the internet in that way which has actually served me very well Mm. in my in my job but so I was lucky in a sense that I had a job doing that and it was really flexible and so I actually left the writing program and decided to try out doing editing and I was really fortunate I joined the Editors Association of Canada right away and made some great connections through there and kind of one one small freelance gig led to another and a, and a bigger and eventually I got the job that I'm currently working at. And yeah, tell me a little bit about that job because I uh, it's a really interesting, it's actually not a type of organization I had really heard of before. I'm sure they're out there, but you work for a company called Talk Science to Me. That's right. Yeah? Talk Science to Me Communications. We're based here in Vancouver and we are a science communications company. So what that means is that we have all sorts of clients, big and small, some government, some non-governmental, a nonprofit, some academic, and we specialize in science, but we do all sorts of communications as well. And we have writers, editors, we have designers uh, on staff and all sorts of associates as well. And so we can basically do handle any part of the publication process, everything from the writing to the editing to the design, the the proofreading. And uh, I do mostly I'm mostly on the copy editing and proofreading end of things, which is kind of what comes near the end of the publication sure. process. So you mentioned that you, it's the end of the process kind of that you come in at. Um, mm-hmm. So what are some other, I, I don't know a lot of the language of, of editing, but I know that there are different types of editing. So I know that you what you do, in fact, I'm not even totally sure I know the difference between copy editing and proofreading, but I know there are other kinds of editing, like I've heard of line editing or developmental editing or different things. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about like different um, types of things that you as an editor or that people in your profession would do when somebody, let's let's say, and someone doing some academic writing mm-hmm. comes to you. What are mm-hmm. different kind of things that your company or that editors might do? Sure, absolutely. So the Editors Association of Canada uses a specific terminology and it does differ a little bit from other organizations internationally but how we split things up is kind of starting at the beginning would be like a structural edit so that's looking at content looking at how things are placed you know should this chapter be here or should it be there should this information come after or before so kind of what it sounds like a structural edit so you're you're looking at the overall view of things and you might at that point to make suggestions for 
does this information fit better in a table or a chart than as text or vice versa? Is this table really going to help the reader down the road? Um, so that's kind of almost taking a bigger picture view. Yeah. And again, I should mention that these differentiations are a little bit um, artificial in a way because a lot of the time you end up doing these four different types of editing sure. almost almost simultaneously in a way. Mm-hmm. So, but it does help to break it down. So structural, and then we have stylistic, and that's looking at the language itself, kind of smoothing the style, uh, looking at the tone, is it appropriate, is the level appropriate, does there need to be a plain language edit, which would mean taking something that's quite technical or jargony or specific to a certain audience and making it more accessible to a wider audience. That Those sort of considerations, word usage, um, so that's stylistic. And then comes copy editing. And yeah, copy editing and proofreading are often in, in regular speech, if we say, used interchangeably. Sure. Um, but they are quite different. So copy editing comes before the design process. So if we are, you're, you're getting a Word document. And so at copy editing stage, that's where you're looking at grammar, punctuation, spelling, mechanics. You're also changing things to fit a specific style. So that's different than not stylistic editing in terms of looking at the sort of style in terms of tone, but style in terms of are you doing APA if you're academic or MLA or which um, which style guide are you following? Right. So which conventions are you following there? Um, American spelling or Canadian or British, you'll be looking at um, consistency as well. So how are we treating headings? How are we treating specific terms? Um, I recently, I recently uh, copy edited a book where we were introducing uh, yoga terms. So do we want to bold them at first mention or do we want to italicize them at first mention? Do we want to put the English terminology in brackets or do we want to, sorry, parentheses, or do we want to be putting the Sanskrit in print? Like, so yeah. you're kind of thinking about it, how, how is the reader best going to benefit from, from the text? Yeah. And it's a lot more than just one, one of the sort of stereotypes that we as editors have to combat all the time is that we're going in there with a red pen and we're just being super like sticklers for grammar and um a term i absolutely hate is the grammar Grammar nazi Nazi. which we could (laughs) do that'll be a whole different conversation but yeah so so we're not going in there and just ripping things apart and it's also a lot about being very sensitive to um being sensitive to when rules need to be applied and when they don't. Because, yes, there are rules, but you also have to be very aware of when that rule doesn't, isn't going to be beneficial for you. And, and, and if you're trying to apply it and it actually ends up making things more awkward. And a lot of the times, too, with consistency, which is very important, but sometimes if you're too worried about making, you know, everything has to be absolutely consistent... Well, there might be points where it like, actually makes more sense and it would be more helpful for the reader for something to, you know, v- to vary from the rule that you're trying to apply. So right. it takes a lot of, and that takes a lot of experience. 
you know, new copy editors are going to go in there and you're all excited to apply these rules that you just learned in your grammar class. And it actually takes a lot of experience to be able to step back and say, okay, you know what, we're going to, we're going to make this, we're going to break this rule here because it'll actually be beneficial for the reader. So there's a lot of subtleties that go on there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which make it really challenging and interesting too, when you're thinking about language use. So proofreading then, I think I, it clicked for me when you were talking. So proofreading is like after your typesetting, after things are being ready to be published. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So that at that stage, you are looking at glaring errors only. If a spelling mistake came through or a typo, um, you're also looking at the design. So you'll be looking for things like widows and orphans strange page breaks so widows and orphans are if there's one line either at the bottom or at the top of a page and of course this will vary as well you know whether or not the style of of the book account can fit that in or not or whether the designer sometimes the designer can't move the line back to the previous page so so you're so you're working quite closely with the designer and you're looking at um images are they clear are they blurry are they cut off anywhere you're counting the page numbers you're looking at every single page number you're looking at every single header making sure that the headers all match you know if chapter two is called a specific thing does the header for every page that's chapter two have that specific header and it's you know designers use programs that sort of automate all this but mistakes totally like even page numbers can get messed up so somebody needs to go through that and check every single detail like that um yeah so that's actually actually proofreading quite quite fun because it almost lets you step back and you're looking at it again in a different it's almost like you're looking at it again in the the bigger picture and you're not making changes at that point in terms of content for sure um even grammatical changes you would only make if it was a really glaring error that somehow snuck in right yeah interesting well i one thing that i have been wondering um because uh, I, I actually um a couple months ago i asked you or i hired you to um edit mm-hmm. something that i wrote with a colleague and um that was the first time that i had paid a professional editor to uh, i think you did copy edit right that's that's right yeah, yeah. yeah. um and i have sort of informally had people help me with stuff or i've had i've paid people who weren't trained editors and I've seen the difference now and I feel like, um, I mean, I know you're, I trust you and I know you're very good, but just in general, like I see now why it's necessary to hire a professional editor, um, which is great. (laughs) Um, but what I, what I wonder about though is, um, I guess sometimes, I don't know if ethical question is the right word to use, but I think sometimes questions come up about like, um, students making sure students are doing their own work and this issue of like, what is the difference? Even students sometimes aren't clear. What's the difference between having someone help me with, say, copy editing versus having someone else's hand really in the work? And I, I'm not sure where the line is. I think that probably as an editor, you have your own um, understanding of this that may or may not be different from how a teacher or a student would see it. But I wonder, do you, I guess this is two questions then, um, do you encounter students, grad students, other people whose work is being Um, evaluated by instructors? Do you encounter them in your work and kind of how do you deal with that? And then the other question is sort of how do you as an editor understand the ethics of um, 
authorship or of your involvement in, in kind of crafting a text? Mm -hmm. Great questions. The first one is a lot easier to answer. Yeah. So we, I believe, and I was trying to find this information on university writing websites, but um, I couldn't find it, but I believe that undergraduates are not allowed to have their work edited at all. I don't know if that's a university I rule. Say, I wonder if that depends on the institution. Too, it like. might. So, okay, maybe don't don't call me on that. Well, but sure, but yeah. we and most editors that I know will only work with graduate students. And there are guidelines from the Editors Association of Canada on working with graduate students. And we actually, for anything that's being evaluated, if, it, if it's for publication, that's totally separate because that's they're kind of functioning autonomously there. Right. And that's, we just treat them as any other professional yeah. that we would work with. But if anything's going for evaluation, so a dissertation or a paper for a class or anything like that, we require permission from the supervisor. Okay. And so we sign a contract where the supervisor has signed off. And there's actually a short checklist going through those four types of editing that we had discussed previously. And the supervisor and the student are able to sit down together and check off which items we as the editors are are allowed to touch. So it can be customized depending on how the supervisor Exactly. Oh, interesting. Exactly. Okay. And so it does it can get tricky because you know often we're hired to do references or to actually either either build the references from scratch if we have the sort of reference material or format the references if there's a list and we just go through and make sure it, it fits APA style. So that can get tricky because students are often being evaluated on whether or not how well they know how to use that particular style. Good point. So, but if there is a comma missing in an in-text citation, you know, between the author's name and the year, that's not necessarily an indication that that student doesn't know how to use it. That's just something that anybody could just sure. forget to put in. And right. so it can get, it can, the line can get quite, quite blurry there. And so it's just a matter of being very careful about what the expectations are. And uh, oftentimes it's been my experience that the supervisors are okay with a copy edit of, of the references because either because they know the student and they know the student has mastered APA and at this point they're fine they're you know at by the grad school level they're they're working at a level where you know they don't need to be evaluated on every single aspect of a of a citation so that's generally okay now where it gets a lot trickier is changing language so making that call of whether something is and this feeds into the second question and this is where this is where there are no real answers of what is what is a mistake and what am I going to go in and fix versus what is the author's voice and that's kind of the ultimate for me and my experience so far as an editor that is the ultimate dilemma because we're in, in training courses and we're always talking about respecting the author's voice. That's ultimately, you know, we're not there to go in and change things around and make it sound the way that we think it should sound. We're going in there 
and, you know, making it just just that tiny bit clearer or that tiny bit stronger, uh, that tiny bit cleaner, whatever it is that we've been asked to do. But that's certainly not going in and making wholesale changes of of language, unless we're working clo- more closely with the author in, in, in some sort of way where we're almost almost co-authors in a sense, which does happen as well. So with students, it's it's quite important to step back even more than we would with other professionals that we work with, I would say, and just really the the guidelines that come from the Editors Association are to query a lot, which query is just our fancy term for asking questions, putting a, putting a comment bubble yeah, <laughs> in yeah. the word doc. Yeah. So, so querying a lot more maybe than we normally would, okay. where we say, do you mean this or do you mean that? Or this is unclear. Um, here is a couple of options of how I would interpret it. Can you let me know what the correct interpretation mm-hmm. is? Um, and then an extra piece that comes in often is that we are working with students whose first language is not English. And so... Sorry, that's something I kind of wanted to ask you about because a lot of the questions, the kind of dilemmas that you brought up are exactly, uh, you you know, for students are exactly what they would be for second language writers. Um, The difference, I mean, I have agonized about this for a long time, the difference between a mistake and the author's voice or a legitimate variation or a, you know, we all know that language is very malleable and creative and people, um, there are so many factors that go into choices that we make with language um, that I, I sometimes find it overwhelming um, as a teacher sometimes to, mm-hmm. to, to tell a student this is wrong. Well, ha- wrong in what sense? And, and mm-hmm. so, so it's something I, I think about a lot and I imagine that you do for an editor as an editor as well. Honestly, I feel that we as editors, as a profession, need to be thinking about and talking about these issues more. There aren't clear guidelines. There aren't. There isn't even that much conversation, to be honest, about the issues that do come up that are specific to this type of uh, client that we might have. And there is, you know, there are editors who specialize in quote unquote ESL editing. You know, you'll see that a lot. Um, and so there are, there is conversation, but it's more in my experience been focused on what kinds of errors are you likely to come across? What kinds, so, you know, oh, you're likely to, with this, with this type of writer from, from this language background, you're likely to come across a lot of missing articles or, tense issues or whatever. So, I mean, that's obviously helpful, but I don't feel that we've moved the conversation yet. I'm hoping, I'm hoping to help move the conversation more into, okay, well, what are the, what are the larger issues at play here in all sorts of ways in terms of, yeah, again, who decides what's correct. And this is something that we talk about. I mean, aside from the the second language or first language issue, this is something that we talk about what is what is correct? I mean, we have these arguments about the Oxford comma versus not the Oxford comma, or, you know, is it okay to use uh, the singular they? I mean, that's a huge thing that's come up recently in our world. And so 
So we have this, t- and then there's the tension between the prescriptivists and the descriptivists, same as in language education, you know, what are you going to count as an error and what are you, what are you not, what are you going to fix, what are you going to sort of quote-unquote let go? And so we have these conversations just with any type of writing, and so, but we haven't quite given it the nuance that I think it deserves when it comes to working with writers from a different language background, because then there's also, you know, there is a power relationship there. I personally, through the Editors Association of Canada, have not met many non-native speakers of English who are working as editors, and, you know, I think that's something that we need to talk about, because why is that, and and does that need to be addressed, um, and how can that be addressed, and how can we how can we best best address that problem? People like you and I like to think about these big questions, but then we also are tasked with, we sit down at our jobs, and we have, and we to, have do to make it. a decision. Exactly. Yeah. And um, exactly. so you can't just hem and haw all the time. No, know? you yeah. can't. And ultimately you are being, you know, if I'm being hired to do a specific job, then ultimately I have to do that job. And practically speaking, as editors, we need to we do estimates before we we take on a project, and we estimate. And of course, there's debate about whether it's, this is a good way to do it. But we most most people estimate based on hour, based on a certain like 250 word manuscript page, and then you sort of there's different guidelines for how long it should take to do specific types of editing. And so, you know, I've gotten assignments before where it's like oh this is this is an an l2 writer so you need to factor in it's going to take longer and so yeah when you get that right away and but again practically speaking it's fair you have to know that because you are going to be doing a different type of editing there so you can't just not know that so how do we but absolutely that's going to bring in bias absolutely even for the you know even for for the most sensitive or or the most aware editor that's just it's I think it's kind of inevitable and so I would like to know how we can tackle that and you know I've unfortunately even I know I've had editors tell me you know I don't take ESL clients because it is a specific type of editing that they find very difficult and part of me feels like oh that's that's a like I cringe when I hear that but at the same time you know there's also editors who don't do structural editing sure because that's not their forte and they don't like it and it's difficult and it's a skill set that they don't have so you can't you know at the same time you can't say no you 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 can't cut out this whole group of people just because you're you're you know, you don't want to deal with that type of work. But at yeah. the same time, you do that anyways in your work if, you, if you're if you lucky enough to be able to choose what kind of work you're doing. So I don't have an answer to how we can, besides having more of these conversations, and obviously editors need to be, we need to be opening up dialogue with, with, with people like you in academia about how people are being taught to write and and whether it's L2 or not how people are being taught to write these days and, and what kind of issues come up and how we can... Because, like you mentioned, we obviously deal with similar questions, but from different angles, yeah. different points in the process. Totally. 
Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think we are running out of time here. So thanks a lot for joining us. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. Language U is sponsored by the Center for English Language Learning, Teaching, and Research at Simon Fraser University. For more information, visit our website at sfu.ca slash CELTER. I'm Joel Hang Hartsey, your host, and if you have any questions, comments, or feedback about this podcast, feel free to get in touch. jhanghar at sfu.ca. That's j-h-e-n-g-h-a-r at sfu.ca. I did not choose that email address. They chose it for me, and I'm not allowed to change it for some reason. Uh, Do get in touch if you have anybody that you would like to hear as a guest. If you yourself would like to be a guest, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Always up for talking to more people about language in the university. Uh, That'll do it for this week, so please tune in next time. And until then, remember, there's no I in language, but there is a you, whatever that means.